Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. I am one of your co-hosts, Britton, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagram, and I am here with... Your other co-host, Jay Allen Cross, also known as Oregon Wood Witch on the Instagram. And I am Marshall of Witch of Southern Light, also on Instagram. <laughs> and my name is Austin at Bainx Bramble on Instagram. And we are all coming to you at once for this very special episode in which the Wicked Witches of the North come in and have a meeting with the Wicked Witches of the South. Thank you guys for joining us here. Yeah, so this is Southern Bramble. Y'all have a podcast and y'all both have online uh, presences like on Instagram and our content creators and whatnot. So we're so excited to have you and have a conversation today. Me too. Thank you for having us. So how is the podcast life treating you guys? I know we're all kind of similar creatures here. How's it been going? We started roughly around the same time. And so we've, we've all been going through the growing process. How is it going for you? Well, I think it's very interesting. Uh, Marshall and I, um, we record bi-weekly. And it's funny because usually we'll just message each other and collab on a topic like the night before. Sometimes we're a little better. But <laughs> it and you know troubleshooting and and zooming and all of that it's it's a it's a journey. But you know I really like the way things end up coming together at the end because when either I'm going through the editing process or I'm re-listening back to a few things, I have noticed there seems to be like almost aha moments in a lot of places, especially when we get to interview other people, because as we bounce ideas off of each other, I'm like, oh my God, you too. Like that's something that I think is really amazing within not just podcasting, but in, in community spaces that we can share different parts of ourselves, our practice and, and things that are usually sometimes kept private, we start to realize are being done, you know, by other practitioners without actually being taught that same sort of thing. It's kind of a, It's a mystery tradition for a reason. So sometimes it's kind of fun to break down different aspects of that mystery. That's what I've discovered in podcasting is like that community connection and like getting to have these in-depth conversations with folks that I might not have been able to have conversations with. You know what I mean? And then being able to share that with a broader audience and then connecting with the audience has been really fascinating and wonderful. Like folks who are like, they have synchronicities happening or things happening in their practice. And they're like, oh yeah, I had this total aha moment listening to the show or just like affirming their practice has been really cool. Yeah. And I've been really excited about the number of people that we've been able to have on, especially like these really fascinating people we've been able to talk to. Um, you know, I've, I've been on podcasts before where it's, it's very clear that I am on as, you know, simply so that they can have content, not so much because they actually want to talk to me. And I think that, you know, having our own podcast, being able to actually choose who we have on having these really fascinating conversations, it's, it's such a gift. And so thank you guys for coming on because I, I love being able to do this and have these really inter- interesting conversations. And the podcast is reaching more people than I thought. I was at a barbecue last night 
for like a friend's birthday party and two random people came up to me and were like, hi, I love your podcast. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) first of all, I am not, I am not good in social situations, especially in person. So I'm just kind of like, cool, I'm going to crawl under this table now and it's going to be completely normal. Um, but <laughs> I, but I'm very glad it is, it is kind of getting out there. People are listening and, uh, you know, we're, we get to share these wonderful conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Jay, how have you been? Like, what's been going on in your world? Let's check in with each other. Uh, you know, it's been pretty good. You know, things got real there for a minute. There was like the eclipse wormhole in which me and everyone else in the world just like dropped all of their stuff all at once. Like everyone who I had appointments with during that time, we all like group flaked, <laughs> like nobody remembered to show up anywhere. Um, but now that that's kind of evening out a little bit. Um, things are getting back on track. I went on a little vacay where I did some writing on a grassy little hill and at a picnic table in a meadow, which was really, really magical. So got to get that done. Uh, but what about you? Well, yesterday I went on a hike. I feel like you and I are also living like a parallel existence because <laughs> um, I also got into that eclipse wormhole and everything just kind of like blew up and got discombobulated. And now I feel like I'm starting to get back on track. But I went on a mini vacay too. I went to the coast. It was kind of like vacay slash helping my sweetie move. So we were doing that. And then um, yesterday I went on a hike and discovered that the huckleberries have started fruiting. (gasps) Yes. So for those who don't know, I get what's called huckleberry fever. And I go batshit crazy when huckleberries are, are popping off. So right now, all I can think about is collecting as many huckleberries as I possibly can. <laughs> that is such an Eastern Oregon thing. I love that so much. I, I don't even know mm-hmm. what a huckleberry is. So huckleberries are in the blueberry family. So they're kind of like a blueberry, only like way better. They taste like a pine tree with lemon and like blueberry and it's bright and delicious, and they're so good for you. And I actually did a little research and discovered that huckleberry leaves are used in folk magic to um, bring about good fortune and dreams. So kind of like oh. for divination and um, like luck around uh, money and gambling. thought that was cool. I love that. All right, y'all. So what is our topic for today? We are going to be talking a little bit around uh, a couple different things. We're going to be talking about sigil witchery, kind of how we all approach that, our personal practices, and some journaling. So let's dive right in. Who wants to tell us what is a sigil? No, I feel... Everyone's just pointing at everybody. We're all pointing at each other. Well, I can tell you what I think my version or what I kind of view a sigil to be. Um, And I've said this before, and I I like to use this kind of as a metaphor. Um, A sigil is supposed to be like a magical symbol, but it's a condensed intention statement, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So like, I think of sigils as like a reduction sauce. The same way you would go to the oven and you turn the burner and you put all your ingredients in and you you add all the different flavors and your intention is that flavor. And as it simmers, as it reduces, as it thickens, as it sweetens, it gets stronger. It gets more flavorful. It gets very, very condensed and potent. So I think of sigils as, as a condensed intention statement in a symbol form. 
Exactly. It's kind of like you take a spell and then you just kind of like you're talking, boil it down to a very raw, specific symbol that carries that spell magic in it. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I'm going to put you in the spotlight, Austin, because I know you do a lot of sigil work on your Instagram. I see all of like this beautiful, it's like artwork, just beautiful work. So I'm curious what your thoughts around what a sigil is. So sigil magic for me, or a lot of the like talismanic work that I do, it's a mix of a couple different things from my very animistic witchcraft perspective. Like it can get kind of weird. Like um, for sigil making for me, I know one of the really common ways to do it is, uh, you know, writing down the the statement, crossing everything out, and then, you know, taking the, the, the remaining consonants and forming them into shapes and things like that. For me, I, I do do that but a lot of the time it's through visionary work so ecstatic ritual and um a lot of like ecstatic dance and breath work and um really bad singing uh <laughs> um i'll get visions from like particular spirits that i've conjured or um like i said it can get kind of weird and then the um the shapes that I see is, is the, you know, sometimes the sigil, other times it can be like the movement of a dance. It can get really like figurative and very metaphorical, or it can be very quite literal. Like I have seen this other times it can be very, um, historically or folklorically inspired. So like a lot of the number signals, uh, number squares that I've drawn, those are like called the Kameas and they're typically used in grimoirical and um, like cunning folk. They're big through a lot of like grimoirical traditions and, and numerologically representing the planets. So sometimes those get used. It, it's a little bit of everything. I love it. I love you talking about the ecstatic dance with it. There was this one, I cannot remember who she is for the life of me, but I was watching one of those little like short little video documentaries about people that go around on social media or whatever. And there's this one girl who's an artist and she does, they're like these charcoal drawings where she puts out like this big piece of paper on the floor and she does like dance, but it's like groundwork a lot. And she has a piece of charcoal in her hand. And so every time she does it, it kind of creates a different picture and a bunch of different symbols and stuff like that on it. It's all very Suspiria, but like sigil um, direction. So when you're talking about it, that's immediately what I thought of. That's really cool. I would totally do that for a really big sigil. And then I'd put it on a building somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. A little graffiti. Very cool. What about you, Jade? Do you do much sigil magic? Um, I do a little. And, and my approach is, is similar because so we have we have two main approaches when it comes to sigils. We have the kind of more structured version, which is the where you write out your intention on a piece of paper and then you cross out all the vowels and then you cross out any repeating consonants that are in it so that you only have one of each. 
And then you put those letters together and slowly morph them and morph them and morph them until they become a symbol. Um, or you can do the other way, which is the one that I tend to do. Um, I actually learned most of my sigil work from Tempest, uh, Laura Tempest Akroff. I took her class at PantheaCon and it was amazing. Um, she does an excellent job and I love her sigils because she's an artist. And so she comes at it from more of a symbolism perspective. And so she does kind of start off with the writing the intention, but then she kind of from there starts creating symbols of things that she feels matches the intention. So if it's for growth or rebirth, she might start with like, you know, um, a filled in circle, which can be like a seed or something like that, or like a spiral, which is like that growth outwards or, or things like that. And then eventually putting together the different symbols to make the one sigil itself. Um, is kind of the method that I go about it myself. I'll kind of start off with with like a rough sigil and then I'll do it again and then I'll do it again and then I'll do it again until I'm finally happy with it. So on my on my iPad and my Procreate, you can see like, you can see the progress of me starting from one super janky ass sigil all the way to something like super pretty at the end. But it's a journey, it's a journey. So that's that's kind of the the way I go at it more. I'm all Mm -hmm. about the structure. Mm-hmm. I I'm hard I'm I'm not horrible I'm lame I do the structured one I, well that's not lame I shouldn't say that I I like the structured one because that's the way I kind of learned and every now and again I will actually drop all the structure and I will mostly just because I feel inspired by a a statement and that picture of what that statement looks like will come to me but a lot of times some of my intentions get a little wordy <laughs> and and I feel like I need to kind of break them down and um. I like finding a place to put them and and sometimes they are emotional so they're very swirly and sometimes they're firm so they've got harsh angles and um sometimes they're encircled because they're almost more like a command or a seal and sometimes they're open freeform because there's something that needs to have a little bit more room for growth and it all kind of depends on the intention mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I take a similar route. I do both the structured and kind of non-structured structured sigil making. Um, and more often, I will do the structured route where, you know, you write out your intention, cross out the vowels, and then condense it. Um, but I find I get a little frustrated when you're taking each letter and, like, dr- drawing it on top of one another. Like, that's kind of how I do it. And then I take a shape that comes out of that, if that makes sense. Then just kind of, like, whittle it down into a very simple uh, design that's very pleasing to me. But I have had a lot of fun. I really like to do um, geometric, like, drawings, I suppose, in my personal practice. I don't really share it very much. I did do a protection symbol. It was like an eye with like little crosses at the end. And I made them into patches and sold them. I do like to ha- take like a, a need. Like recently I did recent as in like several months ago, I drew out a sigil to protect the heart from heartache and to heal from heartache. So it wasn't like me writing down an intention. I just drew, you know, what represented to me as like the protection of the heart. So kind of hard to describe a drawing on a podcast, but it was like an angular heart with crosses on each corner. 
and then little spikes around the heart to like it felt very um rose like it felt very like mm. thorny <laughs> so those are those That's moments it. when when the feeling is not so much a it's not about the structure of the sentence that you're writing the intention down as much as it is a symbol that goes with a type of a feeling or a desire. Um, and I think sometimes when people are trying to learn sigil work, they get so stuck with, am I supposed to write it in present tense? Does it matter if it's if it's saying I want versus I, I need or I desire or does it have to have a, 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 a I, like actual something that references back to me in it? And sometimes that's one of the things at witchcraft that's really amazing is sometimes it really is just about the base of the desire and then start to get more detailed from there if it's necessary. But I think mm -hmm. that that can get confusing to a lot of new practitioners or seekers because we start off, we, I mean, a lot of us do start off with the structure and uh, the rules of sigils, but I always like to think we learn rules so we know how to break them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do a little off-roading, as Jay likes to say. <laughs> do a little off-roading. I like that. Well, I like, too, how sigil work really requires you to figure out what the heck you want before you do it, because you have to make that intention. And a lot of things that I find either with new witches or, like, if I'm doing a service or something, um, people's petitions will be like a letter to Santa. It'll be like, I want this boy to love me. And also favorite things for me. And also I want his mom to be okay with me and I want a pony. And, um, and I'm like, okay, that's like five spells. Um, we're going to need to condense this down because if you try and roll all of those things into a sigil, you're going to have a very chaotic sigil that is doing a few too many things at once, um, which does not always mm -hmm. go well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was our conversation with Corey Hutchinson on folk magic, where he was talking about, in his sigil making process, he would use a playing card or a tarot card, mm -hmm. and weave in the, symbol the symbology and like imagery from that into his sigils to um, give it a further anchor, or like a point of focus mm -hmm. that goes beyond just the sigil. And I really, really like that. That is neat. And I do like the idea of there being of using a sigil as an anchor point too for a spell, because a lot of times we forget where the spell is. And, you know, especially when it comes to things like sigils or wards or whatever, like like the the spell is not necessarily the sigil itself, but the the, the sigil is what's holding the spell, you know, and then and then releasing it or, or, or activating it in some way or another. Um, but the spell is, is kind of bigger than just the sigil itself. I um, was asked a while ago to make a sigil for, I, th I think it was for like protection as well as for a, like a, a, a protection, a protection of the home and also to have a loving atmosphere. And I'm like, okay, I think that's wonderful. But what I think you're actually asking for is two sigils, um, not necessarily one that is all encompassing for your home. Uh, I think a lot of times people, like you said, get really, really wordy with your petitions, get really kind of wordy with what they want. And I think when it comes to a lot of different types of spellcraft, it really should kind of hone in on one thing specific. Because when you put out spirit work, when you put out a magical intention or forcing your will into reality, it has to have a very specific place to go. 
because magic is kind of like water. It's going to keep flowing. It's going to find its way to its end. It might go around a couple rocks and stones, and it might have to work its way through a dam if it can. But it has to have a very specific place to go. And if you give it lots of different types of, of, of directions, it really fans out. And that mm-hmm. strength of that pinpointed direction just gets so dispersed that you really don't get a lot of oomph for any of them. Mm-hmm. You can't spread the magic too thin. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I see with people with um, trying to ward their house. They'll be like, uh, this ward protects me from all evil. And it's like, that's very broad. <laughs> and also very open to interpretation as well. So your ward is kind of like, mm, is this evil? Does it count as evil? Is mischief technically evil? Is spying evil? Like things like that. So your ward's like, I don't know what to do here and your sigils can be the same way as well if it's if it's not as specific as specific specificity is important absolutely so apart from making the sigil now we come to the uh the controversial part about activating sigils how does one activate a sigil? I have heard everything from you stare at it for like a certain amount of time. Um, some people say you have to like destroy them. Like the the way you activate it is you like rip them up or throw them in a fire or things like that. And um, there's also a, another very common method that I am going to turn this one over to Austin to help explain. <laughs> um, the, the other very potent way of, of activating and charging your sigils. You know what's so funny is I don't know how I think it's because I I post there's this meme account called Witch Boys Exist on <laughs> Instagram and they they always make jokes about coming on sigils or come sigils <laughs> and I always repost them because I find them so funny and somehow I think I've set myself up to be this like person who's really known for cum sigils and I rarely ever do that. <laughs> so um it's it's just funny how that works out, the irony. Um but yeah, yeah. Um em- employing sexual fluids um and also the power of the orgasm um in uh your sigil magic and magic in general is uh a very I wouldn't say is super common, but it's a pretty well known way, especially if you're like um, if you followed any like chaos magician from the eighties and the nineties, like that's going to be pretty big. I actually was going <laughs> to, I forgot to bring this up uh, pre-recording if, if we could talk about this, but now that I know the door is open, I'll bring it up. Um, I personally have, I won't get too into the nitty gritty details, but I personally have used orgasm within multiple rituals and and practices that i've done including sigils uh including uh, seasonal celebrations this can be done with just yourself this can be done with a partner or multiple partners that is totally up to you but at the same time i think one of the things that i found really fascinating about sigils is when i learned early on from more of the chaos perspective i learned that the sigil is activated by an energetic shift so when you, like you talked about staring at a sigil, you could put a sigil in front of you while you are, say, um, 
masturbating to the point of the that you are building up so much energy and you're staring at the sigil you're staring at the sigil and then as as your orgasm reaches reaches its climax you're having a major energetic shift it is a lot of power kind of coming to the surface the thing is is that's probably just as much power as you might have screaming your head off on a roller coaster as you're having a major exciting energetic shift. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I think that a roller coaster is just as good as a good orgasm, but for some people, when it comes to magic, uh, I thought that was a really interesting perspective that I had not considered before. Of course, too, there is the the burning it, there's the flushing it, there's the burying it outside. The thing is, is I think each and every one of those has a slightly different uh, energy to them. So fire, you know, it's a quick send off. It's a quick fire off. But it, in my opinion, it may not have a lot of longevity. Now, say if you bury a sigil, so it slowly disintegrates underground within the earth, it may be slow growing and slow moving to come to fruition, but it might have a little bit of a longer lasting outcome. Now, say you want to do, say, more of a baneful working or a banishing, you can flush that thing down the toilet. <laughs> I mean, like, I have flushed a sigil before because I wanted it out of my life. I was, well, more of a name paper, but we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> destroying it was definitely more of a chaos method way, from what I understand. Sigils obviously existed before chaos magic, but um, I personally do a lot of either the burning, the burying, or... Or, or the cum sigils. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so seen right now because I don't, I mean, sigils are like something that I haven't done a lot of research around. And like, I just know that people do them. So like I did them when I felt called to do it, but I did like of my own intuition, like used orgasm as a part of the activation. So like setting it where I can see it while climaxing and like focusing in on it is like is super duper potent. Um, I really like that, and I'm really glad I'm not the only one operating in orgasm sigils. <laughs> I gotta get sigils. on this train because <laughs> I I am not coming on sigils, but I feel now that I need to because apparently it's working. There was some story I heard, and I just tried to Google it, and I can't find it. But there was some story that I heard. There was some. I want to say it was like a band or something and they were, they were being dropped by a record label. I can't remember, but they, they asked a bunch of people to come on a symbol that they had created in order to like keep their career going or something. And it worked because they had like a bunch of fans that all just like got together. And it was like, I think it was like, you know, in the back of Rolling Stones when they used to have like ads and stuff like that, or like you could order Quaaludes or whatever, like from the back of Rolling Stones. Um, I, I think it was, it was there. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. It was a comic yeah. book writer, a creator, wasn't he? And he is that it? Uh, yeah, and his comic books weren't doing very well, but he had a big fan mm-hmm. base. It just wasn't selling quite as much. And he said, and he was a chaos magician. And so he put it mm-hmm. in the back of the issue, and he said, on this date at this time, everyone stare at this sigil and masturbate. I don't, I don't know how he put this in a comic book, but put this out there. I think I remember it was a this. different world back then. It was a different world in the eighties, and. Lo and behold, everything turned around. It started to blow up after that. Yeah. And he recognizes that it was the sigil work that was the shift in that change. Um, um, wow. I'd even heard an interesting thing that was, instead of writing your intention statement as a present tense statement, instead writing it as a question, which I thought was really interesting. So instead of saying like, 
I am protected. Let's just be really simple here. Instead, it says something like, how am I so protected? And the sigil is the answer. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because it plays with uh-huh. a little bit of the psychology of it. And, and, and when you make the sigil, you're answering that question. So I thought that was an interesting idea. I didn't end up using it a whole lot, but I thought it was at least something kind of a new valid uh, form of creating sigils. I like that because when you do it as a question, so say like you you do the method where you do all the crossing out of the letters and you put the letters together. If you do that from a question, then your sigil's energy automatically kind of wants you to interact with it a little mm-hmm. bit because it is a question. It's looking for an answer. Like it, it's it's something that you can interact with essentially. And so depending on what it is that you want your sigil to do, like if it's something like a fascination or something like that, where there's, you know, there's questions, there's answers, there's, you know, need to have a conversation with this symbol. That is interesting. That does open up a few, a few new doors. Well, I know chaos magic like uses a lot of psych models within their, their paradigm. So with the idea of the sigil being forced as a question, your mind automatically wants to answer that question. How am I so lucky to have so many friends? Because Instead, your whole mind is actually focusing on that you do have so many friends instead of a question, uh, uh, a sigil that says, I have so many friends, when you're trying to use magic to make friends. So it was an interesting mm-hmm. kind of concept of really tricking your brain into already believing the thing exists versus just writing a statement or affirmation that it exists. Because some people don't believe in their own affirmations, and I can understand mm-hmm. that psychology. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. I really like that approach. But some people might look at a question as being like, no, I don't like that because I don't want anything to be questioned. And that's not the way that their brain works about it. So I think that's kind of why they're both equally as valid. Definitely. When I do my sigil activation, it's normally, so if I'm doing a sigil, I'm normally doing it in chalk somewhere. Or so the, really the, the, the two times that I'll use them is either like in chalk because my, my altar table here, um, I've painted it with chalkboard paint. So I can take chalk just directly to my altar top and do it that way. And so if I'm doing it in, in the chalk method, I will draw it out and then I'll, I'll knock on it three times to get it started. If I'm doing it in like paper for some reason, I'll hold it over a candle, like, like not, not close enough that it catches fire, but close enough that it gets really hot, um, but doesn't burn. That will be one way. Or the the other times was was when the protests were happening for like the Black Lives Matter and we were going to Portland to protest and all that stuff. We draw them on ourselves. And um, Laura Tempest, um, who I was talking about her book earlier, um, she actually has a bunch of sigils that you can use um, on her blog online, um, which are really helpful. I don't normally... I don't normally suggest that people get sigils from other people because you never know what that sigil is really for. Um, a lot of the time you could be getting punked. Um, they could be giving you something that's not good for you. Um, but I, I do like her, her work and she has several that are meant to protect protesters um, during this work. So it's nice to have them either on the body or you can like, you know, chalk them in the streets or whatever if you need to, um, which is a really simple way to go. Beautiful. So that kind of segues into our next one, which is which is how do we each use them? <laughs> how do you guys use sigils? How do you implement them? 
I think it's important to like take several different uh, approaches to them. I recently have taken an interest in like, I haven't done it, but I'd really like to learn how to do ritual tattooing. It's very hard where I live to a find people who do that, but B find it. Typically when you look into ritual tattooing, it's within a particular tradition, culture or religion and to not necessarily be appropriative or to get something that I don't need from, from how am I trying to say this to, to make sure that I'm staying within my own lane and something that I understand and working with the spirits that I work with, I'd prefer to find it in somebody who, you know, has a similar method or like-mindedness of witchcraft that I practice, um, which is not easy to find, uh, especially like locally. So um, I guess I it's time for me to start learning it myself. I don't always recommend getting tattoos especially of sigils or spirits on your body um that's like some serious pact making i think uh almost just as serious as like blood packs or or things like that but getting tattoos um is really really helpful i think agrippa has also some very interesting methods of spirit torture that i also don't usually recommend where like if a spirit is misbehaving or being unruly like if it's uh, a fiery spirit you might drown its sigil in water or if it's an airy spirit you would bury it or if it's a fiery uh, or a watery spirit you would light it on fire etc etc the idea is that you're making oppositions to the spirit's um elemental basis and kind of torturing it it's something that i have done it's not something that i recommend doing often because i think it's better to have a relationship with spirits than uh torturing them but sometimes it is necessary so absolutely it's kind of like when we talk about saint punishing it's like in theory i get what i want but i always come back to mary grace Farron in her book italian folk magic she talks about saint punishing and she talks about one of her aunts who she would, when her saint wasn't cooperating, she'd get one of the prayer cards of the saint and take a cigarette and burn the eyes out on the picture. And later in life, she goes, she starts to go blind and her aunt's like, well, I deserved it. (laughs) And I'm like, as long as you're ready to accept what happens from there, go for it. But I I think that that's not always the best course of action. off topic but there i was reading this article i was um looking into trying to kind of figure out the origins of the the um saint joseph like house selling thing like where you petition saint joseph to sell your house for you and i can't find out where that's from like on paper but i was reading into it and it is a form of saint torture um, mm-hmm. technically you're supposed to bury St. Joseph upside down. I don't know if there are kinder ways that people do it now besides just petitioning the saint. But in a lot of cases, like people have actually found St. Joseph statues buried upside down, um, it, like on their new property. And they've determined that it was from like older owners who were trying to sell their house. What I love is when Catholic bookstores sell the St. Joseph kits to do this. 
And I'm like, but we're not doing witchcraft, I promise. <laughs> like, nothing at all like that. I'm really folky with my sigils and how I use them and probably like pretty simple. I will carry them in a mojo if I'm wanting to keep the energy on my person or I will um, place them on my altar. Just like, let's say the sigils for prosperity, you know, I keep it by my money items or, or my money altar rather, or because I'm a heavy journaler um, and I, my journal is basically a magical tool. Um, I keep it in my journal, like on my most important pages and like keep it with me or I sleep with them. Um, I make a packet and I put it under my pillow to sleep with them. I like paper charms. Paper charms are great because they're super, super easy. They can be made and done anywhere. I've actually given people um, like birthday or like small celebratory gifts of paper charms. And usually it's it's something small or, or it, it's literally a, a thicker kind of cardstock piece of paper that it's a small square and it's something they can carry with them. And I usually tell them, put it between your phone and your phone case. No matter where you go, you will always have this sigil on you. Whether that's to be for uh, prosperity and abundance and money coming your way, whether that's for personal uh, uh, protection, whether that's for personal uh, to attract love to you if you're kind of if you're single and you're looking to mingle and you want to attract some cute some cuties your way there are a lot of different ways you can use them but i really like them i do two ways most of the time and it's kind of like actually what you said Britton. with a, a i do a lot of charm bags where i either draw it on the bag or i'll put it on mm-hmm. the paper within the bag and use a couple other plant allies that that correspond with and work with that intention in there and then mm-hmm. i have a big thing that i use a lot that I, I don't talk about too much, but I have in the past. I actually have a um, singing bowl. And I like to uh, charge a lot of my things with the singing bowl. Because when I have a sigil, the creation of the sigil itself puts intention in there. But I kind of sometimes feel like taking that extra step to make sure it has an assignment, if that makes sense. That mm-hmm. sigil itself is a created spirit, if you want to talk about this animistically. So I want to make sure that spirit knows what's, what its assignment is. So I might put it in the actual bowl, and then as it's singing, as it's vibrating, it's not super cute. It doesn't rhyme. It's just a. It, it's more of a, a command or a directive. This sigil is is a representation, or this this sigil will bring me prosperity. This sigil will protect me from people who have ill will against me. And I'll say it very very close to it as I am as I am vibrating the bowl, because that vibration then carries my message directly towards its center, which is where the sigil is, or the charm bag, or sometimes my little bottle of of oil that I just made, or whatnot. I love that. And I love what you're talking about with the kind of like giving it instructions. I think that that's important. And a lot of people overlook that. Um, But that's a really great way to focus on exactly what you want it to do. And kind of putting both of yours together, I I have actually started in either like my charm bags or or whatever it is that I'm making all I've been writing little instructions, essentially on a little piece of paper and slipping them inside so that everything in there knows precisely what it is supposed to be doing. And sometimes I add in symbols and things like that as well. um, Just because I think the the clearer we can be in our work and the more specific we can be in our work, then the better our results are going to be. And so I feel like, you know, I have a little chat with all the things I'm putting into the charm bag, but then also adding a little instruction manual in case I get lost. Well, I mean, a charm bag is in itself a portable spirit house, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I really like to imbue objects like items with sigils. And I was like, as you were talking, Marshall, I just realized like this is something I've been doing. I have a little clay air freshener in my truck. And because I don't like to buy like traditional air fresheners because they just stink to high heaven, in my opinion. Um, so I get, have this little clay circular disc that I hang in my rear view mirror and I put essential oils on it. But on the back of it, I've inscribed protection because I have like this like insane deep fear of wrecking my truck. <laughs> and uh, uh, I also have your St. Christopher medallion that you gave me, Jay, but I've inscribed a protection sigil on the back of that. And I also put sigils on wards around my house, like on stones. I use um, one of those uh, industrial use paint sticks it's something that a lot of graffiti writers will use on trains and stuff. And it's, it actually sticks really, really well. And you can refresh it every now and then. Mm. I like the idea about imbuing mm. magical items with sigils, but sometimes if I don't have the ability to actually put the sigil on the item, I'll draw it out on paper and then I'll burn that paper. And then I'll roll the item around in the ash of that paper and that in itself, I'll kind of leave it sitting on my altar overnight with directions to absorb uh, that spirit's intention. Mm. Mm, I like that. I like what you're saying about your like putting stuff in your truck written. I have an obnoxious amount of, I have invisibility charms on my car. I have protection charms on my car, like keep away cop, keep away things on my car. Like, and uh, that's so interesting. I kind of forgot. Um, to mention that because I have so many and I think um, like your car and your phone are weird uh, or something that I think we maybe don't talk about that much in folk magic or in general, mm -hmm. sometimes people are, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, we don't talk about it because we, um, I don't know. Some people really like this like ye old timey witch aesthetic, but it's like, no gal, I still got a car. I still got to put magic in that car. I still think that the car is a spirit and I'll like make offerings to the car and things like that. So, um, or feed the car spirit. So it's, it's very interesting um, to hear somebody else mention that. Yeah, it does get missed in, in folk magic and like magic in general, like folks don't often really want to acknowledge these, um, I'm using air quotes, mundane aspects of our lives, like our cars, our cars are so important to us. And protecting them is a, is a really big thing. So I love that I have like, my dashboard is basically an altar, I have like sage, sagebrush, and like little knickknacks and bones <laughs> and things hanging everywhere. It's definitely it's an it's another altar, basically. Right. I think that's really important to make sure that our folk magic also advances into modern times, because that's how we lose magic is by forever placing it in the past. And so I do see a lot of folk magicians that are like, I know 72 ways to protect my cattle from blight. And I'm like, when was the last time you were around a cow? Like, let's be real here. <laughs> like, but your car, however, is something that you touch pretty much every day. So we we should kind of evolve with it. And a lot of times people think that folk magic is something that only happened in the past, but it's very much happening right now. And there's no shame in, you know, tailoring your folk magic to modern things because folk magic is the magic of the people, of the folk. And we have new problems now. And so so our magic should have new solutions.
Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. So our last kind of thing that we're going to go into here is talking about, um, and this kind of ties in too, because as Britton was saying earlier, that they like to kind of store some of their sigils in their journal. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your journaling practice, Britton? I know that you have um, an intense uh, love of journaling. I do have an intense love of journaling. And I think I've said this on the podcast before, but magical journaling uh, provides us proof of our magical efficacy, in my opinion. It gives us a place to dump everything that we're working on or what we're going through. Because I think even like the mundane aspects of our life, like our emotional states, it it really ties into what we're doing magically and how where our energy is at and what we're thinking about and what's going on in our lives. So I actually recently moved my paper journaling over to my laptops uh, because I'm writing a book right now. Um, So yeah, I have a pretty intense practice of doing about 1,200 words stream of consciousness every day, every morning. Um, And I do keep a paper journal and it's weird. I talk about not creating a dichotomy in your journaling practice, like, you know, having a journal for tarot, having a journal for dreams, having a journal for your magical work, having a journal for your daily life, like keeping it all in one house is really important. But I have kind of separated the two recently. And I keep a journal for like my daily activities and like as a planner, but I also do magical journaling as well, like dreams, uh, what I'm doing currently magically, etc. Um, but I am a huge advocate of magical journaling because it will, it will change the way you see your magic and you can always go back and reflect and see where you have come from because it's really good for us to know where we're coming from and how we're moving into the future with our magical work. So it's really key, I think. I actually have a couple different ones too. But I actually like the way you said that because my couple different ones don't break down into tons of different dichotomies. They actually focus more on more like scratch work. So like I like I have this one here. It's not even a journal. It's like a black papered sketchbook. And I have cute silver and colored gel pens that I like to work on there. And and that's fun for me because I'm a really artsy fartsy sort of person. Um, I put like an intention statement and runes on the cover. And it's it's a commonplace book. Like it's the direct meaning of something that you might find in an old timey sort of Victorian house with a mixture of sigils, recipes, ideas. I have notes in here from interviews that I've done. It's just a bunch of catch-all stuff. But then I have my journal which is more of like written in dates, but it has certain sigils I've created, spells I've done, sigils I have done, but not destroyed and then pasted directly into the book and then wrote what the intention was for, how I wrote the intention out, and then went back and the date in which I felt that it actually came to fruition. So I can document that type of thing and be like, okay, this one didn't work. This method wasn't really the way I thought it would be. And in fact, I might change it to do this the next time. And I also use lots of different colored pens to make sure to, break down some of the intention differences or the incantation in one color with the directions in another color and then the ingredient in the ingredients or spirit allies in another color. Uh, I liked that one because it was more of a journal. It was a diary of my experience with my experimental creations. But then I also have my big grimoire, <laughs> which is less journaling and more 
that's where I get into my super artsy fartsy side because I always really, really loved. I mean, as a witch, you know, I just love the aesthetic of certain things. And I like that big tome. I like that big, overflowing, fold out, fat book. I mean, it used to have a clasp on there and I had to cut it out because I do a lot of collage style stuff where I, I have cardstock and pictures and things that I paste in there and it got so thick, I had to actually cut the clasp that bound it together. So it's like super wide now. <laughs> oh my God. And, and I had like, I just like, I wish y'all could see this. Just, I glued the clasp on the front just because it was still pretty that way. But then I get really into like all different types of colors and pictures. And, wow. and, and I have a whole section of sigils that are just, these are sigils that I've, are mine you know, that I've, I've made, they have very specific intentions. I don't even write the intention statement to it, just exactly what it's, what its theme is, because I'm trying to kind of get rid of the old, what I was intending for at the time and it's make it more of a general one. So protection, mm-hmm. self-love, banishing, uh, heck that kind of thing. And those become more catch-all symbols that then I can work into other aspects of my spellcraft. I'm so jealous of your ability to do any of that. I I want more than anything to have just like this beautiful big book of shadows. And I've tried since I was like 10 to have one, but I always outpace them so intensely. And in my brain, for some reason, I I always look at it like as a legacy piece, like, okay, one day I will be dead and somebody's gonna have to teach my grandchildren how to do this. Like, so I want it to be like very well done. But for me, like I'll get like a book and I'll be like, okay, cool. Like here's this spell and I'll write out the spell. I'll be like, God, like the spell is amazing. And a week later I'm like, this spell is trash. <laughs> like I know so many better ways to do this now. And then I, and then, then I'm ripping out pages and then I just, I never get anywhere. Cause then I'm with a pageless book and then like a month and it's, it's not good. So what I've figured out is if I can get, I don't know if anybody else's grandma was like this, but you used to get those recipe boxes with all the index cards in them that are alphabetized. And then that way I can just like pull one out and be like, this is trash, put in a new one. Um, And then I'm not like defacing a book or I don't have to like cross something out. Or if I, and for me too, it's like, I have really intense Virgo placements. So if I'm writing in my book of shadows and I make a typo, I'm like, my grandchildren are going to think I'm so dumb. So, so then I, I have to completely start over again. So me and my perfectionism, I cannot do a, a bound book of any sort. But um, for those of you who are like me, I do highly recommend either the recipe version or Judica Isles has the encyclopedia of like 5,000 spells or whatever. That is just a big hunk of book that has every spell you could think of. And so if you want the giant book experience without having to make it highly recommend that one well three post books are also really good because you screw and unscrew them on you can add pages you can subtract pages um so those really help uh and you can purchase those online or at Michael's or craft stores. A lot of them are used mostly for like picture books. So you can add more mm-hmm. pictures or take out pages and whatnot. But you can just do that with regular old three-hole punch paper. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I may have to try that. Well, Austin, what about you? Do you have a journaling practice? So I'm going to be the odd one out of the group. Well, I do. I have one somewhat now but i will say i have never been a very good journaler not as a kid i used to try and keep journals um 
not really ever in my life have I been very good about taking the time to sit down and write, especially about particularly like what I would consider to be just very boring. Like no one would, would want to read this. It's very about myself and things like that. However, within the past year and a half or so I've taken it upon myself to, because I, I fully agree that um, like what you were saying, Britain, being able to write down your magical practices. And um, for me, it's a lot of like omens that I, I've seen and the results from the omens, rituals and workings and things like that and the results from it. And being able to look back on that and reflect is is very important and, and I think very useful. So I've been trying to do it now. I hadn't done it since like April. And the other day I was like looking at one of my, my journals and I was like, you haven't written in there in a while. You should do that. And y'all, when I tell you after high school, I, I don't know about you all, but like, I don't write like I used to anymore. And so like I was writing and my hand was cramping up. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I have so many instances of my hands cramping up and being like, I need to take a break. This is like, I get to the point where I'm just trying to get through it sometimes. And I'm like, I can't even read this <laughs> like mm-hmm. to the point that I'm just like, I can't even read what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you guys. So thank you so much for coming on and having a wonderful conversation with us. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your podcast, all of that? Give us the details. Sure. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, TikTok at Witch of Southern Light, and on Twitter at Marshall WSL. And you can find Southern Bramble, a uh, podcast of Crooked Ways, at Anchor, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and uh, Apple Podcasts as well. And you can find me at Bane and Bramble on Instagram. Well, it was such a fantastic conversation with the two of you. Um, Really enjoyed it. All the sigil talk and journaling talk. It's great to have y'all. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And remember, do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.